It's November 2009, and the new Royal Shakespeare Theatre in Stratford-upon-Avon is really beginning to take shape. From the outside, the, the scaffold's starting to come down, and, and people can start to see the building in its entirety. And, and for the most part, people are going to think it's pretty much complete. But actually, coming inside, you can see there's a, there's, there's a lot of work to do. We're, we're creating that machine that's going to become the, the RSC. Alistair McKenzie from Bennett's Associates, the RSC Transformations Architects. And the man who oversees it all is Peter Wilson, project director. In the last few days, we've put in the enormous steelwork system that makes the understage. So instead of there being just a hole, we now have a very large grid of uh, black steel beams, which are really a kind of giant grown-ups Meccano system for theatre technicians to play with. The noise you hear is somebody uh, bolting the Meccano set together in the basement. (laughs) It's a theatre technician's paradise here. Uh, Jonathan Porter-Goth is from Stage Electric. What's your role? We turn the building into a theatre and it's not like the icing on the cake, it's a bit more fundamental than that. It's probably the cherries and the walnuts within the mix as well. Well, all the ingredients are being assembled, but it's going to be a good few months before the actors arrive. Uh, And there's still the little matter of the final leg of the fundraising. Graham Williamson is Deputy Development Director. The campaign has been very successful up to this point, but yet we've still got £10 million to go. And, uh, you know, the project is on time and on budget, but uh, we we mustn't forget that we still have, you know... pretty stretching target to to finish off there. We'll hear more from Graham Williamson a little bit later. So, where are we? We're inspecting the giant Meccano set, which is going in way below us with the help of a crane. We're actually standing um, around ground level in what will be the wings. We're standing on the the stage right wing. We're looking back at the get-in across on Ward Drive. Right down at the basement of the old... RST is a marvellous crane um, and it's very small, it's very high tech but it, it's doing an amazing job of moving this Meccano around and, and like Meccano it can be reassembled in all sorts of different ways. Even though we've got a stage uh, format that we've chosen, we can alter it because they can take bits of it out they can put in lifts, they can put in traps, they can do anything they like with it, with it within um, a quite ambitious system It feels a little bit like, for anybody who's been into the Courtyard Theatre, it feels a little bit like the Courtyard, in fact. You you based it to some degree on the Courtyard, I think. Well, they're they're certainly cousins. They're not brother and sister. The the cousin relationship is that they're both thrust stage auditoria, they're both a 1,000 seats, and they both have a stalls level and two gallery levels. Uh, And they're both roughly the same shape. However, this one is different in that we learnt a lot from the Courtyard auditorium along the way Uh, one of the things that we learned was that um, we needed to be particularly careful about the acoustics across the room and so a lot of the detail of where there are reflecting surfaces in the room is is more complex than the courtyard which has itself changed uh, as we as we've learned how to use it one of the differences between the cousins that, that that i can see and i know it's all open at the moment but it's it's, it's not the space of where the audience and the, and the stage is, but it's how far down it goes and, and how far up it goes. I think it's probably fair to say that it is the first thrust stage in the world that has the full basement and flying capabilities of a more conventional theatre. So can we go up and, and, and take a look at where those flying capabilities will uh, all be? Jonathan Portugal leads the way. 
you probably see more clearly there if you just lean out and look through. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like I had a hat. <laughs> wow. So beneath the stage that you'll see as a member of the audience, they're effectively the height of a house, and there's a large stage lift uh, going in there as well. And this will mean not only can be used for storage, but a great place to have, you know, an army coming up from underneath, or somebody wants to turn it into a swimming pool, I dare say, in due course. So that's the sort of the, the subterranean bits. Uh, but we've got this height, and so you need to be able to fly things up and down in this volume. In order to make use of all this space, there needs to be a winching system to lift people and things up and down. So it needs to be safe, and it also needs to be repeatable and very accurate. And so millimetre accuracy is the sort of thing you're after. And in order to achieve that, there are winches being installed above our heads here, which will cover the entire fly tower and also the thrust stage area. And people will be able to be lifted up and flown around and moved around from side to side, really at the touch of a button, and you won't hear them move. And I have seen this demonstrated at the National Theatre a couple of weeks ago, and it was phenomenal, ab ab uncanny to see 16 things moving and not a sound. It really is amazing. Remarkable. Yeah, not a sound is... Well, there's plenty of sound yes, around today. But, I mean, the thought of being an actor and standing here and flying down from this point is a bit terrifying at the moment. We're very high indeed. But they won't see it quite like this. No. Well, I hope they won't. And in, some, in the above the thrust stage, we've actually got special access ways just for actors. So there's no lighting, there's no technicians. It's just a wet way, access way for actors to be able to get onto their flying systems. It's all going to get a bit dramatic around here with the noise, John. We'll move away. That's better. <laughs> this um, pretty empty room at the moment, this is where the winches will be operated from. That's right. The winches will be on the frames here and the cables will go the full 35-odd metres right down to the bottom of the double basement and you can pull something out of the bowels of the theatre all the way up past the actors and the audience and then disappear out above their heads. And it'll all just be a sort of a magic moment of pantomime finesse. It's certainly going to give production designers a huge amount of scope, Peter. The only thing you can't do is, is shove massive solid pieces of scenery in the middle because the audience is all around it. They can do bits of it on the courtyard stage, but the constraints are much greater. I bet they're dying to get their hands on it. Uh, yes, I think you could say that. Um, in, in fact, we've reached the point in the project where we, the project team, we're not interesting anymore. They just wish we'd go away and they could play with it. But the pipes and the wires and the paint takes another year. And that's always the most difficult and frustrating time uh, for people wanting to use things. They can see the building there. They can see that the towers will be finished. They can see the restaurants glazing. They can go inside and they can see nearly an auditorium. But we're still the best part of a year away from actually using the building in anger in any way. And that is tough for people. And from your point of view, Jonathan, a lot of the work that's going on around us at the moment uh, will never be seen at all. Uh, there, there's a good few metres of cabling going in, I can see. Hundreds of kilometres of cable of one sort or another. Very straightforward power cables, steel-wired armour cables, but also there's a lot of fibre optics and uh, data cables, which can be used for a plethora of things. And the great thing about that is, is you're future-proofing the installation, so you're not actually having to second-guess every single thing that the company will come up with in the next 25 years. Fibre optics and data in general is becoming so much of a, of a useful medium that it will be able to be used for all sorts of things we probably can't even dream of at the moment. And all that is going on in a building that has so much history. Uh, we're moving down now to what some may remember 
as the gallery bar, although it's looking rather different today than when it last served an interval drink, Alistair. One of the challenges of this whole building is it was never one building to start with. You've got a building from the 1890s, from the 30s, with 60s editions. So from the very start, it was about stripping away and revealing what we feel are very, very good interiors, like the Scott Foyer and the new gallery bar where we're standing now getting back to something close to the original and then understanding the materials that have been used there and then trying to reapply them. So the stone that's in the Scott foyer, we're reusing that on the riverside, the fantastic uh, timber floor here, the pattern of that has become a reference point for the restaurant floor above and within the tower. So we're taking references from the old building and then reinterpreting them. Well, one of the references has been from the brick I mean, there's brick inside, there's brick outside. There are thousands and thousands of them involved in the project. Nowhere more on show, of course, than on the new tower, which is now topped off with its glass viewing area. Tim Court is from the construction managers, Mace Construction. Tim, as construction manager, it must have been a, a great day to see it all in place at last. My heart was in my mouth that day, I must admit, to make sure it all fitted together. We did check and check and double check, as you can imagine, but uh, it was a great relief to see it lifted up there. <laughs> and what's the view like from up there? Fantastic. One word, fantastic. It really is quite a stunning, stunning view. And it must have been a tricky operation getting the glass up there. What we did, we built a mock-up of the top of the concrete shaft, and we built that on the ground. We took a load of very careful measurements and put some fixing bolts in, and then we brought the basics of the box to site and built it on the ground. And when we were ready, and when the brickwork was ready, it was all neatly timed to coincide. And then at the given moment, we lifted it up there, and it fitted. Luckily. Make it sound so easy. Uh, a crane or two involved, I imagine. It was a nice big crane involved, yes, and my fingers were crossed as they dropped it neatly into place. It was great to see the the locals all turning out to, to view it as well. One thing I was very impressed about today, because it's the first time I've seen the scaffolding off the tower, is how well the brick on the tower blends with the old, very old brick buildings in the street below. That took a lot of effort from everyone, from the brick suppliers, working through samples with the client, testing out different types of mortar to try and get the blend that, OK, we're, we're, we're building something new and that is very much of its, own, of its own time, but actually can help to tie together all these different, disparate parts of the building from the 30s, from the 1890s. And, and it's quite unusual today to build something like the tower using just brick. When you look at it, that's actually real brickwork and not just a face stuck on a bit of concrete, as a lot of the modern brickwork is. That is real structural brickwork. It's, it's lovely. A team of specialist bricklayers came up and uh, obviously they spent the last six months, six, more than that, eight months building it at that nice three-degree angle that as the scaffold comes down, more of that will be revealed. And it is a work of art. It really is a work of art. They're very proud of it. It is looking wonderful. And um, you can have a part of it. Uh, you can sponsor a brick. Graham Williamson is the man in charge of this. They are beautiful bricks too, and they're all handmade, Graham. They are indeed in the, in the Forest of Dean, absolutely. Um, fantastic. And um, we've had you know, huge support internationally. We've had over 7,000 people support the, the, uh, the public appeal already from 43 different countries. And you know, brick sponsorship is, is a great way of, uh, of contributing. Can you identify your own brick, or perhaps that's asking a bit much? Uh, you, 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 we, don't, we don't chisel your name on your own brick, but if you go online and do it now, um, Patrick Stewart has been fantastic in um, helping to support that campaign, and he actually, uh, if you go online, you'll see uh, Patrick Stewart write your name on the brick for you uh, on the website. So a lovely little, uh, little uh, game you can play. So please, go and do it. 
So what's the timetable from here on in, Jonathan? How long until you technicians are ready to hand it all over? We'll be finished by July next year. Uh, but after that, there are many months for the Royal Shakespeare Company themselves to do the fit-out, because we're only providing the bare bones. There's very little equipment on the end of that. It will all work, but they wouldn't be able to put a show on the minute we finish. So, uh, again, there's another any number of months after that before the building will actually open and become the performance space that it's designed to be. And I suppose well before you've finished, other people with the inputting soft furnishings and things like that in. That'll, that'll, probably, well, that'll be happening while you're still working, I imagine. Yes, I mean, at the, very, the last two or three months of the project, running up to July next year, is set aside for commissioning. And a lot of that means that everything has to be done in order to get the acoustics right. And we can only test that and prove that when you have all systems running, when you've got the seating and the carpet and the wall finishes down, all the stage engineering is running, and anything that might make a noise is there. And uh, there's usually quite a lot of going around making lists of things that need to be quieter still. So we will hear a pin drop in the final auditorium. Well, I'm sure you will be able to, yes, but uh, there's an enormous long way to go, as you can hear today. And uh, thinking ahead to those soft furnishings, Graham, are there any seats left uh, to sponsor, that is? Because I know you've done pretty well on getting people to name seats. We're really delighted that David Tennant has uh, helped front that campaign. That's been very successful. We've had over 480 seats named already um, for the new auditorium, and you know, that's a huge amount of support for the project. There's still seats left to, uh, to, to name, so uh, you can name it after yourself, after a loved one, after a... You know, a an actor. And when you come to the theatre, if you book early enough, you can book your own seat, possibly. We can't guarantee it, but yes, if you get in early enough, absolutely. I mean, you, you, can, you can certainly um, you know, get in and try and get your own seat, yes. This building is a great blend of the very new with the old. High up in the restaurant, with its wonderful floor-to-ceiling glass walls and its fantastic views across Stratford, there's a brick wall that is apparently part of the old facade, Tim. It's got arches, it's got bits of plaster still clinging to it. I imagine there's quite a bit of work to do on that before this area opens as a restaurant. Maybe there's not as much work as you would think on that wall. The RST do like to see a bit of the history uh, and that wall obviously shows a lot of the history of what was here before. Even the, the line at the very top there was the top of the back, the original seating area in the theatre. At the moment, there's a lot of discussion on that and how we should uh, treat it with uh, getting it nice and clean and finished, but on the other hand, retaining the history. History and continuity, a key element to this project. We have a lady who came to the RST in 1933, year after the, uh, the theatre opened for her first visit and she recently named a seat um, for the new auditorium, and it's still coming to the RSC. So, uh, you know, fantastic uh, loyalty and length of you know, enjoyment and support for the old building, and now, of course, we hope the new. For more information about the RSC transformation, go to www.rsc.org.uk. I'm Jane Markham, and this is a podcast production for the RSC.